Everybody get a handout. Guys, I don't shoot proposed to be an expert on this topic, and I got to tell you right up front that I wrestle with this as much and as frequently as probably each one of you here. But uh, given that introduction, I still think it's worthy of our time. And my hope today, and my objective in, in spending some time with you on this, is just to encourage your thinking in this area of contentment. And also to encourage you in your pursuit of contentment or peace. You can use that word. The Bible promises us peace. And I just want to operate today under the premise that, if you would, uh, well, let me back up just a second. The guidelines here are really flexible. Or Speak up whatever you want. I've got a few things to share with you, and, and it's my hope that it'll stimulate uh, some conversation and fill up the hour that we need to, to fill up, and it'll be a worthwhile time. But I want to want to uh, pursue the premise that contentment or peace <coughs> is the symptom of an eternal hope, and the converse of contentment. The opposite of contentment being anxiety. Uh, we need to define anxiety. Okay. Contentment is a symptom of an eternal hope. And anxiety is a symptom of the temporal hope. Of the hope in this world. So why don't we uh, just start off with a word of prayer and give us a chance to catch our breath and, and collect our thoughts. <clears throat> Father, we just come to you uh, once again this morning. We just want to say how thankful we are in our hearts for uh, the sacrifice that you made for each one of us uh, in your Son, Jesus Christ. And we just want to thank you for choosing to have a personal relationship with us. Um, we also want to thank you, Lord, for having us here at Lost Valley, for just orchestrating the circumstances. And we know that you just have the right men here today. Uh, we're here for a reason. It's not by accident. Lord, we, uh, in addition to uh, restoring some oxygen to our blood and to our brain, we just ask that you uh, open our hearts allow our ears to uh, receive your word and that uh, if there's some things that we hear today that challenge our thinking that we'll be like the Bereans and we'll dig into the scripture and just see if, if it's so Father above all else we just ask that today that your name be honored and that this time uh, together we want it to be uh, of growing in, in our knowledge of you and what you your plan for our lives we just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I looked up the word contentment. Uh, 
in a, in a concordance, uh, which gives me the Greek definition of it. I don't you think I'm a scholar that took you long to figure that out, but uh, one of the definitions of contentment was to satisfy, to be enough, or be sufficient. I really would like for us to focus uh, in this little time that we have together on that uh, the definition of be enough. So thinking in terms of contentment as uh, yeah, that's enough. But we really have that feeling that it's sufficient. <coughs> the first scripture reference that I've given you there is, is first Timothy first Timothy six. Verses 6 through 10. When we turn our Bibles to that, and if I can get somebody to volunteer to read that in whatever translation you have. Did you get a hand up? Which going to be 6? I'm sorry. I'm just going to take those four scriptures and walk right down to 610. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith. I'm sorry, check it. Chapter 6, verses 6 through 10. 6 through 10, okay. But godliness, actually, is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. And if we have food and covering, please, shall we be content? But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pain. We are the 69-year-old Bob Carson <coughs> tell us this morning that he's still wrestling. Verse 8, and if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. And Bob shared with us that his mindset was that I need some transportation, I need a little nest egg for retirement. You know, I'm convinced every one of us here can relate to that. But I also believe that the principle to be gleaned from this, at least one of them, is that we need to develop a mindset of having enough. And Bob posed the question, how much is enough? And that's contrary to what society is telling us. Telling us more is better. Uh, we just scripted every, every time we turn around to accumulate, to pay more. And I believe the principle here is to uh, really ask God to give us the mindset of, of being enough, of, of having enough. How much is enough? Who's in trouble? We think for a moment about a, certainly not any of us here, but <clears throat> we probably have some close acquaintances, Christians. Who are pursuing the dollar, spend their time in their business, and it's 
what your parents do. Your goal is to accumulate. What, what are they telling God in that instance? What's the message that heaven forbid you tell them when we do that? I'd say money is their God instead of God. False, false God. Well, he's not going to honor the promise he made. Yeah. Bible. Are you saying to him, God, your standard of living is not enough? I want to be in control? I think many times uh, our society is so permeated in the family. How many times have we heard older people say, the best years of my life were back when we were struggling and we didn't have a lot, raising the kids, and boy, they were tough times, but they were the best times of our lives. Consequences of not allowing being content with what God's provision. Another consequence that I see those of us in business, we're working with people in sales. Uh, if, if the dollar is your focus, and if you really believe that you're responsible for providing for your standard of living, you're going to use people. And you can't use people and minister to them at the same time. And you're going to be in conflict there. And you're not going to have this thing called contentment or peace. 
can have the anxiety. In my case, it's it's a knock somewhere down in here that, I mean, it goes off and I know I'm in trouble. I just think about there was a company I worked with a while back. It was a wine sound company. And their motto was, have no conscience. <laughs> I'm serious. That's what they said. It was going into a season where they had bad sales or sales were down. Uh, they just said, have no conscience. Look at those people's dollar signs and commissions. Have no conscience. You may have to answer tell them going to them after the holiday is over because they've got all this bad stock of your product. But right now, we've got to get our sales up. Have no conscience. And you think of that. I'm in real estate and I've been there for three years. I know when times are tough, you sometimes tend to look at people as your commission. You've got to really get away from that because you're not servicing the way they should be served. And you've got to treat them as individuals. I think for us as believers, our key challenge here for the application is to <coughs> ask God to determine our standard of living with a sincere heart. Let's look over in Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 2. Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. And here we have the author making a request of God. Proverbs 30, verses 7 through 9. Somebody read that for <clears throat> Two things I ask of you. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion. Lest I be full and deny thee and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be in want and steal and proclaim the name of my God. Lord, don't give me too much, because I'll deny you. And don't withhold from it because I'm going to be in one. Let's catch that statement that he made starting off. Why don't we ask why in times of prosperity as well as why in times of hardship? No, I tried to ignore that. I was going to Before we said that, that's kind of, nobody ever asked why in times of good. I get the picture, the picture here of a contented mindset. You might just make a note of that in the morning or some day you know, <coughs> and just, just to get things back and focus, you might just go back to that. I think the, the, uh, the main lesson that I get from this is the three priorities are three
Charles, who gets to determine? That's, well, again, that's like the Lord says. That's the yeah, end of him. Pardon me? It's up to the Christians to turn him into God. And, and I'm submitting to you that God should be the guide what you need. And we should be satisfied with his provision. What I run across a lot in my business is people who have, uh, you put it in two columns. They've got column A as their income. So mm-hmm. they come in and say, I'm, I'm getting to the... Uh, into the paycheck before I get to the end of the month. And so we've got column A here is their income. And they said, now here's column B. And I said, you know, I'm a believer. I read the scriptures. I know God's going to provide for me. So I want you to help me pray that God will get this column A income up here to take care of my needs over here. And so we have to walk through and say, you know, what are needs and what are wants. And what I'm suggesting to you is this column A is God's provision. And what we need to do is give prayerful consideration for living within that provision and making the sacrifices necessary. And don't don't presume upon God to bring column A up above column B or to neither exceed column B. That's tension, that's anxiety, um, that's presumption upon God. That's a sin. And God is, we have no reason to believe he's going to provide any more in column A or any less than what he's doing. Now, if he does, that's great. God bless Okay? If it goes lower, thank God. But we've got to start developing that mindset to live within the provision. We are not entitled to, and entitlement is a big, big word in our society, we're not entitled to a certain level, anything beyond food and cover. Kind of column B wants in the column A uh, provisions, yeah. And if God chooses to have us live in what the society would consider poverty levels, that that would be concerned. <coughs> Mark, I, I, I'm sure other guys going through the same thing, but as far as praying, certainly the economy is taking such an about face mm-hmm. that 
many of us, it was, it was more of an academic question a few years back than it is now. I mean, in other words, many times column A was exceeding, really, you know, and you said, well, okay, you're in the accumulation phase, and said, well, God, you can level it off wherever you choose or something. You could take that. And all of a sudden, that column A has got a bracket around it. I mean, it's abrupt about face. And you say, well, hey God, by the way, God, I want you to know I'm satisfied with what I'm, I am content. And then, then you have to say, but now column A is gone completely. And, you, and so you say, God, would you give me a hint <laughs> you know, I'm decumulating, I'm consuming these things. How fast should I consume? When's it going to end? And do I wind up under the bridge or, you know, in a by-the-week motel? Or just exactly where will it stop? And, and, and to me, that's the hard part is being content in, in that uncertainty where column A is simply gone. It's not a question of will I get a cost of living increase this year. Well, will there be any, you know? Chuck, this session is down the hill. Is that? Yeah, we're all there. I'm trying to take it. You know what your joke has to be? You know what has to be? You can take that a step further, you know. I should be content with my business, my health, my son, but then now I don't have a wife. And so, you know. A year or two ago, I was living with a happy where I was and all that, had the wife and all that kind of stuff. Now, like you're saying, a big chunk of my party is gone. Yeah. And how do you, uh, that's where I'm starting. How am I to be content when I had something? I'm um, content with the lack of change. I was jokingly saying that stuff about the session of the Lord God down the hill. Mm -hmm. I don't think contentment means that there will be a, uh, a lack of change in our life. Because I think it's also used to contentment in any circumstance. And so uh, uh, I see that going back to what I was saying here is that contentment really is sort of my heart's attitude. And that uh, I may be content in the quote good times, content in the, in the down times. But in both of those times, there will be decisions that I will need to make uh, within that phase of contentment, which will affect my, my business, my, my marriage, my daily living. So I think contentment, there is change within Right, I think you bring up a good point. Sometimes I think we confuse contentment and complacency. Right. Bible, the Bible does not advocate complacency. It's not a legitimate mindset on that. I think the Lord uses change just to show you that where your contentment really should be. He uses change to show you that, hey, I'm really where your focus is supposed to be. You know, good, bad, the other, it doesn't matter. So keep your eye on me. Well, it was that definition you started out with, of contentment versus anxiety, you know. The anxiety is when it's in worried about the temporal things instead of the time. person I think has to be especially careful on this. This this time is a little bit weird. Especially when we're doing some time. There are a lot of new Christians that have been caught up. 
because it's lost, and that's because it's lost and the struggle with that. And uh, they would not have gotten into that kind of situation had they been able to make that moral decision before they encouraged the death. I think that, that's one of the things that we really care for that description. Uh, it's not a day to day thing. You know, you have to plan for the future because it's going to be a real estate thing, it's going to be a development, you've got to make a commitment today based on today's information. And over a period of a year or 18 months, by the time you come online with this, and the situation will be drastically changed. And because of the nature of the business, you have to incur that risk. And really, so you also put that risk on some other people. And unfortunately, uh, uh, you know, I'm within that position, but I've seen this in front of agonize over that. So I think the thing that we have struggled with, to what extent should we? You need, need to make that decision before the time. Mm-hmm. So that's the end of that right now. You know, the federal government makes a decision in CRA in 1986 to destroy us. talking about Charles is what Chuck was describing earlier. Yeah. Things were back a few years ago. And they would be convinced, you know, with, with, uh, with the shelter and the food and the clothing, but now it looks like more than that. But what is that? What is death? Aren't you making a presumption about future earnings there? In order to do the future. Also, with regard to what Chuck was talking about, in the decumulation stage, you still have got things that God says would be contemporary. The the issue is how long will this last? Well, I've been in this for three years. And the question that I wrestle with is, uh, is, you know, really an issue of, you know, what level of lifestyle you want to live die. And uh, it's a completely different issue. Steve, get back now to that original question. How much is enough? How much? Where do you want me to be and how much is enough? Let's move on to the second principle and we'll come back if we've got time and we'll stick around some more of these. Um, Matthew 6, verses 31 through 34. (coughs) Do not be anxious then, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink? Or with what shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles eagerly seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom, and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Yeah, this scripture is pretty clear. I think that we're told we're not to be anxious. We're to be content. Verse 32 talks about the Gentiles, or some of the translations may say uh, pagans. Uh, that's what they're up to. That's what they're looking for. Uh, they're worried about how we're going to provide. We're told not to do, though. Verse, the, the second half of verse 32 says, Your Heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. God's aware of that. So the principle here that I see is that God knows exactly what we need. He is sovereign. 
that he knows exactly what you need best interest. What about our side too? See that when the Jews were running around in the wilderness, you know, the same mindset. I mean, it was there thousands of years ago and it's still with us today. I've seen what you've done in the past. I've seen your acts in the past and your divisions. I know you're going to take them away before that tonight. And I bump into that all the time. I get to 24 also is a good verse. No one can serve two masters. Either you hate the one and love the other, and I hate to be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve the good God and the other. Who's going to be, what's going to be the Lord? Who's going to be sovereign? Is God sovereign? Or are you going to put money? No, I'm not going to. Probably on your next page there, chapter 7. There's an illustration here that, that I think fits. Chapter 7, verses 9 and 11. And Christ is just uh, giving an illustration here. Somebody read that, please. Chapter 7. Yeah, 7, 9 through 11. Which of you, if the son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, to give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. So, those of us who have children, if they ask us for something, we're going to give them what's in their best interest. We're going to give them, give to them generously. And the scripture says that we're evil. We know that. But if we know how to give good gifts to our children, even though we're evil, just think how generous and how adequate God's provision is going to be for us.
Because I think it's incumbent upon us to recognize God's character. that he is sovereign and he's going to make provision. But, uh, we see it here in, in verse 33. We're told to seek his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added. Why do we... That's one of the ways we seek his kingdom. That's about it. Seeking God's will through the scripture. In the Bible. Yeah. Getting into his book, finding out. But why do we study the Bible? So you know what he wants to do? You know, you don't get into the Bible to study to gain more knowledge. I mean, that's the trick that Adam and Eve were on. They want more knowledge. They want more to Yes. You want to learn more about the character of God. That's what I'm saying. I think you study the Bible most when you're least content. That's true. I hear that. <laughs> you study the Bible when you are in those periods that God promised you you will have that are down there. You know, it's back to the current you know, already, but we don't ever ask why anything think you know, you're ready to pull them up down. And we think that last night, he says, you don't develop your convictions in the <coughs> battle and the negotiations, that's not the time to develop them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the time to, if, if the principle is valid, it's that God truly is sovereign, and something that he's going to grip with. And the time to, to develop those convictions and to learn more about the truth of God is prior to those circumstances the prudent person, you know, most, a lot of us learn the hard way But it seems to me that if God has a plan, if He's sovereign, if He's orchestrating all this, then it would be uh, to our benefit to get to know His ways as well as we can. So if we've got some insurance those circumstances that would cause the non-believer to go to hands. He's talking about his idea. Uh, I think we, we as Christians in our children, we have more prayers of supplication than we do of prayers. You're stealing yeah. my thunder here, Charles. <laughs> 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 uh, well, I think if we get in the habit of praising God, you know, we have more commitment. Mm-hmm. Like my grandson, I'm talking about the phone. The first word he said, what you bought for me? Yeah. 
Isn't it refreshing to meet people in the marketplace, meet guys who you get to meet them, they really don't have their sights set on what, what's in it for them. I mean, we, you know, you get to deal with people, obviously there's a real conflict there, because there's a lot of people who, when you really deal with them, you know, it's really what's in it for them. You know, meet somebody, and there are some people out there who don't deal with it. I mean, they're saying it to, to try to help, try to do the right. question. Because I use a little checklist that I've had for some time now uh, that deals with the character of God. And I just review this in my quiet time every day. Uh, talks about God is sovereign. I'll give you, if you want, I'll give you scripture references that I use on this. God is sovereign. First Timothy six fifteen. And he's orchestrating everything. God is love. We heard that since little uh, First John four, verse eight and uh, sixteen. God's eternal life. He's always existed. Isaiah fifty seven fifteen. God is righteous. First Peter 1, 17. God is justice. He cannot compromise on his character. Psalm 89, 14. God is omniscient. He's all-knowing. First John 3, 20. He's omnipresence. He's everywhere at one time. Psalm 139, 7 through 12. This is one that hits me between the eyes all the time. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He's not a God of little power. Jeremiah 32, 17 and 27. He's immutable. He's unchanging. Always faithful. Numbers 23, 19. And he's a God of absolute truth. His veracity. Psalm 117, 2. Offer those to you sometime when you do this study on your own just to get to know his character. I want to look at the next, and this is not an all-inclusive list by any means, but with the time allowed, and uh, I just wanted to cover these four with you. Uh, Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13, and we'll finish up here in the chapter, chapter 4 of Philippians. I'll read that. Yeah, 4, 11, 13. And I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have been your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned with the interruption of the show. For I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to be good and funny. I have learned the secret of being content in any and 
every situation for the welfare of the hungry, for the living in plenty and more. I can do all things, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. As Bob Foster pointed out this morning, I believe, Paul wrote this when he was in prison. The principle that I gleaned from this guy is found in verse 12. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. And I highlighted this. I have learned the secret. It implies that there's a process going on here. There is a clue, or clues that we can attain. There's a secret to this whole thing of being content. It seems to me that among all the things that, that Paul had learned, he learned at least at least three things that he learned. The first is that God is sovereign. We discussed that already. But, but Paul knew this. He knew that God had a plan for his life. He learned the uh, discipline of obedience. The second thing he learned is the discipline of obedience. He was familiar with the character of God and his omnipotence. And that God was in all-powerful and in absolute control. third thing that he, he learned was contentment in all circumstances. That God's love is so great for him that everything that comes into our life I'm putting this in present everything that comes into our life is in our best interest. I'm reminded that of the illustration of uh, Job, what he went through, and uh, God and Satan were having a conversation. And here's God all knowing, but he's playing with Satan. He says, Satan, where have you been? Satan says, I've been down carousing around on earth, stirring things up. This is a paraphrase. And he knew it was on Satan's heart. He said he considered my good and faithful servant Job. Well, yeah, God, the only reason that Job is faithful to you is because of his circumstances. You build a hedge around him, you protected him, you give him a lot of wealth. The moment those things are jerked out, and column B skyrockets and column A drops, He's not going to be so faithful to you. And God says, no, he's, he's my man. Take a run at him. You can do anything you want to him, but spare his life. And as you recall the story, I mean, it is. And the circumstances, by our standards, by, by a temporal focus, were less than desired. <laughs> <laughs> He wasn't thrilled about it. But Mount Joe wasn't thrilled. He knew that. 
but he was faithful. By way of application here, it seems to me that, that our part in all this, and the only thing we can control, we can't control the circumstances, the only thing we can control is our response to circumstances. And what is that response to be? I'm sorry, David, take it big day. Be faithful. I think the hardest thing about that is to accept whatever love it is. It's always going to change between love and down. Our problem is accepting that. We have to reach presently lost to what? Lost income.
story a little bit on that. You know, you're um, divorced a few days ago, but I've been raising my son by myself since he was six months old. And starting out in real estate and doing all that, it's been a, imagine, <laughs> a real trying last year and a half. But something I think I should share with you guys who will be parents and stuff like that, the great amount of good that has come about, I think if I, this hadn't happened to me, I wouldn't have been the father to my son that I know I'm going to be right now. Because with what has happened, I have, it has been demanded of me, a good part of my day has to be spent with my son. And as he's gotten older and stuff, I get, I put in my eight to five day, and then I've got my son to raise by myself right now. I find myself, I put my business aside, I click my answering machine on, and it stays on until he goes to bed at 8.30 or so, and then I flip it back off, take care of business from there. It demands a lot of myself, but I look at the good that it's come out of that. It's taught me that, you know, my dad was a good dad, but he didn't give me a lot of uninterrupted time. He would come home, ask how my day was, and then sit in front of the TV set. And how many of us, I know I would have gotten caught in that trap because I had such a hard day at the office. And I just, I guess, personal testimony that I'd like to share. It, your kids grow up so fast and they do so many changes. You know, I've seen that in my own son. And I look back at, you know, my ex-wife, she's missed all that. She was out of state, she was gone. And boy, it's just such a thing, and I imagine even as they get older, they get 6, 7, 10, 14 years old, every day they change. And if you don't take time to notice that, you're going to look back when you're 21, 22, not giving you the time of day, because you didn't give them the time of day. What did I do with my life? And I can, and with all sincerity, I can look at my situation as being real thankful. It's taught me how to be a real father in the best sense of the word. And something to think about. Being faithful, knowing that God has a plan, this is not happening by accident. Seems to me, guys, that, that contentment is in direct relationship to our surrender to God. And if we're not content, then we, we probably ought to examine uh, the, the areas in our life that we need to change and we don't want
you're saying that you're, you're going to experience some anxiety because you are off on the trying to take care of all the primary targets and hit a bunch of secondaries at the same time. And therefore the timing is tough. Uh, and the Yeah. Let's go on to the final principle, and then we'll Philippians four verses six through seven. Somebody, somebody read that for us. talks about prayer and supplication, taking everything to God in prayer and supplication. What's prayer? The Greek defines prayer as communicate, nearness, or draw near. Can you get a, a vision, a picture of that? Nearness or drawing near to God? I just think prayer is kind of, it doesn't have to be real formal. I don't think all this, maybe I'm a little bit off track, but I think prayer can be uh, even a subtle, God, please help me here, what do I do with this? You know, I don't think you need to get real formal about it and go be quiet by yourself, I think. Because I find myself a lot of times uh, dropping my son off with the ex and those kind of things. I say, Lord, give me strength so I know how to handle her in this situation. You know, should confrontation or anything like that. Or even if you're going into a delicate business deal, you know you're going to have to do some skillful negotiating. I found myself just for a quick look. Nothing real formal, but just kind of help me. Huh? 
Brian, I think I agree with you on the first part. Um, prayer doesn't have to be formal. In fact, Jesus kind of laid it on the Pharisees. This part of Matthew 6 is a formal prayer standing on the street corner. That growing nearness, that prayer is growing nearness, I get the picture of, you know, a father and his child growing up together in an overstuffed chair. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of intimacy. But then in the second part of your, your explanation, you know, it seems to me you're referring more to what, what the Bible refers to as supplication. Supplication uh, defined as a petition or a specific request. Specifically, God, what do you want me to do in this? We are told to couch both prayers and these specific requests of supplication with an attitude of thanksgiving. Lord, I thank you for for closing on that that mortgage. Lord, I thank you for uh, that's that's foreign to our thinking, but we're called to do that with a spirit of thanksgiving. God, what we're really saying is, God, I don't, don't quite understand why, and if, if I was going to design it, I wouldn't do it this way, but I know you have my best interest at heart, so I thank you for it. And I'm going to trust that you're going to give me the assurance and reveal, reveal to me when I need to know why this happened. Maybe not in this life, but in eternity. Yeah. 
I mean, in my book, it's in red, so that way I know it's important. Otherwise, I think it's important to me. But, yeah, it starts off by uh, glorifying God. Matthew, yes. Matthew 6, verse 9. Hallowed be thy name. Acknowledging and repairing the sovereignty of the Lord. What is done for And I know for myself, I don't spend enough time doing it. And the more I do, I spend truly quiet time praying and thanking Him and acknowledging all the areas of my life that I have to be thankful for, not just the circumstances, the relationships, the sacrifice Christ made for me, acknowledging who God is, that I experience that peace. It surpasses all comprehension. So glad your hearts and your minds and Christ Jesus. It's there, the promise is there, it's there. I think the standard, and we call it the prayer, I think the standard is found over in the first Thessalonians. Let's just turn over there for a second. What prayer? First Thess, chapter 5. Verses 16 and 18. I'll get looking at it. Yeah. Great passage. Like mine is this afternoon, aren't we, Sarah? Yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We're out of control. Verdict Thessalonians. 16, 17, and 18. Somebody read those for us. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you and Christ Jesus. Guys, that's the standard. Are we going to achieve that? Probably not. But this is a move from us the responsibility to strive for. 
said, also it tells us when we're down, we still have no right to bring circumstances in the form of gifts to be negative. But we're always supposed to be joyful. No matter what situation we're in, we must actually be You're Christ's ambassador at home as well, aren't you? Huh? You're Christ's ambassador at home. Yeah. And uh, it's, no matter if it's monetary anxiety or marriage stress or whatever, you get in there with those little tiny kids that are under your charge, and you bring that negativeism into the relationship with them and unnecessarily hurt them. If it goes on very long, it will affect them throughout their life. I think there was some option tightening up my own mind. There's tears in your prayers and stuff in order to really help you feel feeling contentment is really taking extra effort to be thankful for what do have, whether it be a clothes on your back or being healthy that particular day and sunshine being out or whatever you take a real extra effort to find whatever is good right there at that moment. Yeah, I think that it would help people feel it would help me feel a lot more. I guess why it's so important to pray too because your positive attitude and this is negative to things in your life isn't just going to happen unless you implore them to happen through prayer for God to let you have that optimistic nature in dealing with other people. Uh, otherwise, you're going to be negative if you haven't really sought a resource to ask for any joyous optimism through that quality. Praise God for what He is. If I am to remind myself to pray for what he is, I get around the whole experience. The four, just to summarize here, the four principles, the four keys that I wanted to share with you. Number one, to have a mindset of enough. How much is enough? And let God determine our standard of living. Number two, to recognize God's sovereignty. Absolutely orchestrates everything. Nothing happens by accident. Number three, to use Paul's example of being faithful and to be content in all circumstances and recognize God's sovereignty. He said, I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to be faithful in whatever the circumstances. I know that everything works to good for those who believe. And the fourth principle is prayer. Well, that's something we can do. That's some action we can take. Because again, the only thing we can control is our response. We cannot control the circumstances. If you think you can control the circumstances, hang on. If we look one, uh, one verse beyond the Thessalonians, you know, we do not quench the Spirit. Because I'm, I'm basically a I mean, from Christ. I recently came to Christ a few months back. And I'm excited every morning I get a chance that He wakes me up and starts that fire. I get up and I get a chance to read this. And it just it blows my mind. I mean, the stuff that I've gone through, I've played the church game for years, and now it's really coming alive. And uh, so it's exciting. I get up and I, I thank Him for, for just about everything I possibly can. 